The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. I'm Pastor Matt. Um, like Trini said, if this is your first time, we've got a guest card, a connect card, a piece of paper, some kind of card in the seat back in front of you. We'd love to get some information from you so we can get some information to you and start a conversation. Um, it's been a, I got a little bit of housekeeping things to do before we get into teaching, um, but I want to ask uh, something. If you are a veteran, would you please stand and let us honor and thank you. To the men and women of the military, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart, because as you've noticed, this has been a little bit of a political week, Um, and it is only because of those men and women in our military, our first defenders, our law enforcement who live on the front line that give us the ability to act the way we do sometimes. Um, So thank you for the freedoms that you've bought and paid for and continue to protect in our nation. We're blessed to live in this nation, and this isn't about... Uh, who you voted for and, and who won, who lost. This is about us as a nation walking in unity. And here's just something that's just been going through my mind. You know how sometimes a song gets stuck in your head? There's been a song stuck in my head since last Sunday. And I, I mean, I've been praying about it. I've had a lot of you uh, call me. I've been praying for and with a lot of you um, because this was just a, a really stressful season. Um, regardless of what your thoughts are on election, it's been a stressful season for a lot of you. But there's a song that's been stuck in my head. It's that old song that said, um, kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's just something about that name. And that name is Jesus, who is on the throne, who is a name above every name, that at his name, every knee will bow. And so it's just, this has just been a reminder that regardless of where we go politically or what your thoughts are, we have a king who will never get off of his throne. And so that's where we're submitted. I do want to pray for our nation. I want to pray for our leaders um, because God sets those in power. And so let's pray for them. There's a lot, of, there's a lot to go on in our nation. I mean, you just watch the news for 30 seconds and you see there's a lot to do. So um, if you'll join me, let's pray. And so Father, we thank you that we live in the nation that is blessed. We thank you that uh, it's by your grace that we live in the day, the time, and the place that was set by you. And you set us in this day and time and place so that we would reach out and find you. Um, So Father, I pray for our nation. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, begin to bind us in unity and that you give wisdom to our leaders, give discernment. I pray as Paul prayed for the Ephesian church that you open the eyes of their heart to see your goodness. And God, let them lead with integrity. God, let them lead um, under your direction and your guidance. And Father, help us as citizens continue to do our part to be responsible. But most of all, help us to be witnesses for the gospel. And God, that we submit to you as our king and that you are Lord. And we will honor you with how we live our lives. We will honor you with our freedoms. We thank you for those freedoms. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I I do want to do a little bit of a security update. Um, If you've been watching the news, uh, one of the stories is Kayla Gomez, um, 10-year-old girl that was abducted from church um, and later found murdered. Um, I just want to reiterate, if if you're at the creek, if you got kids, yes, 
It is cumbersome sometimes. I know it can be a little bit of a whipping to make sure your sticker's on and in the right place, and that can be some hoops, but I would much rather have a little bit of discomfort and a little bit of a challenge in our process on this side than have to deal with the other side of what another church in East Texas is dealing with. So yes, it's not easy, but we take our security very seriously. So that's why we ask you to do the stickers. That's why you don't go back there if you don't have a sticker. We take the safety of our children very importantly, very seriously. And so please, thank you for being respectful to our team. Um, the sheepdogs are members of the creek. And so thank you for being respectful for them. And I know, just make sure stickers are on. Let me also say this, parents, after you pick up your kids, please keep an eye on them in the lobby. I know it's fun to let them run around, and, and that's what church is about to a kid, man. It's about running around. But please keep an eye on, on your kids. Um, so we, we do not want, ever want a situation like that here. And we put every safeguard we have in place to ensure that does not happen. And so we have people that are willing to stand and watch our kids, but, but parents, we need your help too. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, over the last several weeks, we've been in that series called One Church with uh, uh, growing capacity for ministry. In the, the last several weeks, we've had many families fill out uh, commitment cards. And if you missed that opportunity, we have commitment cards at the back on your way out. Um, you can fill that out, drop it in the giving station. I want to give you an update because so many of you are asking me where we're at, where we're at, where we're at. We have 173 families that made a commitment to one church. And that amount is, I'm not going to make you do a drum roll. I thought about in the first service having them do a drum roll, but I didn't do it. And I won't make you do it, although it would be awesome from my perspective. But, yeah. <laughs> but what our current level of commitments are right now are $1,250,000. $259.87. Is that not incredible? Man. Uh, what I love about that, that represents hearing God, that represents obedience, that represents sacrifice, but here's what that does. That represents all of us because when we do this together, God accomplishes through us. And so people have asked me, so what does that open up? I don't know yet. We begin the process now of sitting down with, with all of the experts and trying to figure all of this out, and uh, we'll, we'll update that as soon as possible. We've got some meetings happening this week, um, and our goal is to get the project started as soon as possible, and whatever that project, whatever pieces of that phase look like. And so um, today is our first fruits offering, and so this is a, a chance for us, those that have committed uh, to one church to go ahead and do a jump start on our offering. This, I've had, let me ha answer some questions. I've had some people go, was this in addition to my commitment? No, it's not. This is a jump start on your commitment. And then I've had people ask me, how, we're, how do we do this offering? This is how we do it at the creek, okay? We don't put a plate in front of your face, and I didn't want to do that for this. Our giving is an act of worship, and it's done in secret. And so on your way out, if you've got your family with you, pray over that first fruit. And drop that in the giving station. But let that be done as an act of worship. I'm grateful for it. Um, we're praying and, and trusting God that we'll have about $150,000 uh, come in so we can get the project started um, as soon as possible. And here's what I, people ask me. So are you worried about? Are you thinking about? What are you excited about? Here's the thing. I trust God, okay? That's where my trust is. And what God has shown me over and over with this church process and planting a church, leading a church, 
is God is fully in control. Just as he's on the throne, he's fully in control of what happens in his church. And he has shown me this. He is the God of provision, and he is the God of enough. What he does is enough, and what he says he's going to do, he's faithful to complete it. And so that's where my trust is. I'm excited because all of this means more lives changed by the gospel. All of it means that more lives are going in that tank. It means more people are experiencing the freedom of salvation, and, and I'm, I'm excited about that. You know, one of the things that happens with baptism is uh, we, uh, we say some things. There's some specific verbiage around baptism, and, and one of those is when they go under, I mean, we say, hold your nose. We always say that because um, you don't want that water up in your nostrils. It burns. Um, there is nothing sacred about this water, by the way. I mean, it's not holy water. It's Fort Worth's finest. Um, came right out of the tap. I mean, we can bless it if you want, but um, it's just plain old water. But there's a symbolism about what this represents. There's something about this. And so when we, after we say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then hold your nose, um, as they're going back, sometimes it's hard to hear with the mic situation, but we say, you're buried with Christ in death, and then we, we don't leave you under the water. Um, I, I did have one teenage mother, one mother of a teenager, um, when I was baptizing her teenage son, I said, just jokingly, how long do you mean to hold him under? And she says, till the bubbles stop. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know whether to laugh or call CPS. I just don't know right now. You've put me in an uncomfortable position. But so we, we, you go under and you say, we say you're buried with Christ in death. And then you come up and you're raised to walk in newness of life. And there's something specific about that verbiage. Now, the act of the going under the water and coming up, that's not what salvation is. Salvation happens in our moment with Christ. This is our public attestation, our public coming out for a spiritual work that's already been completed. And this is our opportunity to celebrate this in the presence of each other and in the presence of God. And baptism is is our first act of obedience after making Christ our Lord and Savior. He calls us to walk in obedience. Our first act in that is, is baptism. But, but this thing that we say, you're buried with Christ in death and raised to walk in new life, why is that important? Um, and that's what I want to spend time discussing today and, and really our topic. If you got your Bible, go to Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the back table for you. If you don't own one, please write your name in it. That's our gift to you. And we want you to have a copy of the Word of God. If you have a smartphone, we're on the version. It's a free app. And our, all of our notes and fill-ins are in there, so you're welcome to, welcome to follow along with that. But uh, Romans chapter 6, Paul teaches us about this resurrection life. Because here, here's what I think. I think that churches are full of people who have, who have said yes to Jesus, but they've not said yes to the fullness of life. That they've said yes that I, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I'm, I'm not willing to go that far. I'm, I'm not willing to live fully submitted to you. And what that results in, what results are in the church is that we're full of churches with people that have no life. When you look at it, a lot of times the church looks no different from anything else in the world. And that's not what we're called to be. We're called to live in this resurrection life. And so I, I want us to understand that because That's the calling on our life. It's not just to give our life to Christ. It's not just to 
have the fire insurance, as some say, or the get out of hell free card. It's about pursuing Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and about surrendering and submitting our life fully and completely to him so we live in that power, that life instead of our life. So here's what Paul has to say. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Let me me help explain this. A lot of times we think... um, if, if God's a God of grace and he's going to forgive me of my sin, why can't I go ahead and live the way I want to live? And, and here's the ultimate reality that we have to understand, that we have to face, that when we are born, we're born into a sinful system. We're born broken. We're born selfish. I mean, our, our words after mama, dada is mine. And if you've got siblings, you learn that word much quicker. And it's mine. And, and we, we just grow bigger in that. We grow bigger in our selfishness. So we grow in this life desiring to please ourselves. So what, what Paul's saying here, what this is saying is, if God's a God of grace and he's going to forgive me, why can't I go on and live selfishly? Why can't I go on and live life that pleases myself? And Paul's saying that, that's not even true. That he's going to make an argument that in that case, have you even met Jesus? Have you even seen how good God is? Have you even surrendered your life to him? What some people say, that's a grace loophole. It's really grace abuse. It's like, God, I know you're going to pay for this, so I'm going to continue racking up a tab so you take care of it. I mean, that's really what we've got to understand. And so he's saying that's by no means How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's where we get when you're baptized, you are buried with Christ in death. You share in his death And then you also are raised to walk in newness of life, so you share in his resurrection. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified. If you you got your Bible underlined, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free. From sins. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But for the life, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So there's in Christ Jesus, our baptism in Christ Jesus. We share in his death, we share in his resurrection. And people say, you know, I understand that you can't become a Christian without a belief that Jesus died for my sin and that he was resurrected. But in order for us to live a resurrected life, it's not just the death of Jesus. You don't have a resurrection without a death. And so if we're going to share in his resurrection, we're going to share in a life that he has bought for us, that he leads us in, that he has has called us and created us for, then we also share in his death that, yes, our old self was crucified with Christ. 
that we no longer live to ourselves. We have died to it. I mean, here is, this is the gospel. This is the good news, that Jesus, who is the Son of God, lived a perfect life, willingly laid his life down, was crucified on a cross. He died on that cross. He was laid in a tomb, and three days later, he was resurrected. When we put our faith, our hope, our trust in that, then what happens is there's a transformation that, uh, that occurs in us, and our old self has been crucified with Christ. See, baptism is just that, that public saying, look, my old self has gone in the water, but my new self comes out. That's showing, that's a symbol of the completed work. See, when, when we give our life to Christ, Scripture says we're born again. Something new emerges in us. There's transformation that happens. And so you think, well, so how can I die? What does that, what does that mean? So what does that mean? It's kind of like when Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, look, I'm an old man. There's no way I can get back in my mother's womb. And I'm sure Jesus gave him a look like, are you serious? <laughs> Duh. But we think about this. Okay, so if I'm going to share in his resurrection, then I have to die. Yes. Spiritually, there's a death. Our old self, our sin nature was crucified with Christ. That it has been completed. Now, let, let me help you with something because a lot of times this can lead into some jacked up theology and jacked up thinking with Christianity. Well, so Jesus died once for all. He won't do it again. So that means I'm covered. No. We each have to come to Christ, humble ourselves, and ask him for that grace and forgiveness. It's kind of like the process of uh, when you go to lunch or dinner with somebody, and there's that awkward moment when the server goes, will this be one check or separate checks? And every person in the world does this. There's that awkward silence of going, are they going to pick it up? And then you're like, oh, I'll just do separate. Or you're like, oh, I'll pick it up. I mean, when our staff goes out to lunch, it's just hilarious. There's no awkward silence with our staff. They're just like, give it to him right here. Like, I mean, they walk in like, this is going to be one check and he's got it and they're pointing to me. And so... All right, then. But it, it's like that with our sin, that, that there's only one of two people that's going to pay the penalty for our sin. I mean, at the end of time, when we stand before God, when the check comes to the table, there is no separate checks. It's either going to be all Jesus or all you. And when we confess Jesus as our Lord, our Savior, we ask him for forgiveness and there's something that happens spiritually in us, that the, our old self, our sin nature was crucified with Christ. It's done it once, and it will not need to be done again. And then the righteousness of God is in placed on us. The penalty has been paid, and death is what paid that penalty. The perfect blood of Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary is what covered 
our sin, my sin, your sin, my tab, your tab. So what happens is, how do we, how does this happen? I mean, a lot of times we think we got to figure it all out. This resurrection life, we try to try to break it down, especially a lot of you, you analytical type A people. How does this work? And, and see, here's the re- thing we have to realize, that we enter the resurrection life by faith, not by understanding, not by sight, by faith. See, in the Old Testament, and some of y'all grew up in church, you remember Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord, then right arm. Some of y'all grew up in children's, kids' church, y'all remember that? That's like the Christian Jesus version of the hokey pokey, right? Like, and if you don't know it, ask somebody, because so, they'll be singing it the rest of this thing. Like, it's an earworm. It's stuck in your head. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And then somebody, right arm, you know. So then, then, you get, then you end up doing right arm, left arm, nod your head. And so you got kids just doing this. And then that's the Christian mosh pit. That's where it started was in kids' church. You're welcome, because if you get a five- and six-year-old dancing like that, they're going to be jumping into each other. I mean, that's just the way it rolls. But Abraham, the father of many nations, all nations on earth, God said, are going to be blessed through you, Abraham, and I'm calling you out to leave your father's household and go to the place that I show you, and I'm making a covenant with you, a vow, a promise to bless all nations, and out of you, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation. Scripture tells us that Abraham believed God, and by faith he went. And it says that God credited it to Abraham as righteousness. It was by faith that the righteousness was credited to Abraham's account. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see this hall of fame of faith. And it says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things we don't see. So faith leads us to to believe without seeing. And and a lot of times we want to get the spreadsheet of grace understood. We like, I I, want to understand everything about this. I've been walking with God for almost 30 years and I still don't understand everything. There are still moments in my study time that God just, he blows my mind. And I can't begin to understand all of the things of God. But here's what I do understand. That I was in need of a savior and Jesus is my savior. And I can be a witness to what has been done in my life. See, this Hebrews chapter 11 starts this faith chapter. Some people call it the hall of fame of faith. Then you've got Abraham, you've got Moses, you've got Rahab, you've got all of these people where it says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith they trusted God, by faith they trusted the promise. Some died believing in faith without even seeing the promise. And so faith is that engine that leads us into the resurrection life. And the beauty of it is we don't muster up the faith. See, following Jesus isn't a fake it till you make it. Following Jesus is returning the faith to God that he gives us. And when we lack faith, and, and I lack faith, I go through seasons of doubt. I go through seasons of struggle where I, I wrestle with things of God and go, is this, is this true? Is this, is this right, God? Is this real? Is this real? 
And then I come to that point of saying, God, give me faith because I'm wrestling here. If you're a Christian and wrestle with doubt, you're not alone. Stop feeling guilty that you have doubts because here's the reality. A faith that is never tested can never be trusted. And so you're called to walk in faith, in faith, in faith. And then Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, so all of these men and women who went before us and their names are represented in scripture, that by faith they pursued God. By faith they lived a life that was full of resurrection power. Because we have witnesses like that, then let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. So now we're back to what Paul said. So you've got sin that entangles you and that keeps you from living a resurrection life. Throw it off. Cast it off. Don't justify it as, well, if God's got grace and God's a God of grace and I can continue doing what I want to do. Paul's saying, no, no, you have died to that sin. You have died to that temptation. You have died to those desires. You will still sin. Trust me. I still sin. I'm just as much of a mess as any other person on the face of this earth. But the difference is the old self is dead and I'm pursuing Christ by faith. By faith, I pursue it. And people want evidence. We're like, okay, so faith, I hear people say faith demands evidence. Well, when you look into Scripture, in John chapter 20, after the resurrection of Jesus, you've got Doubting Thomas. I don't think you should be called Doubting Thomas anymore, because here's what happens. The disciples are all gathered in a room, and they had seen Jesus, and they go, look, we saw Jesus, Thomas. He's like, look, unless I can touch him, I'm not believing it. I'm not believing this resurrection thing unless I can put my hands where the nails were and where the spear was. And then they're gathered another time, and then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, like, what's up? Didn't even use the door. Walks in. What's up? I don't want to meet Jesus that way. (laughs) Although he didn't use the door, I would have gone through the door. But he shows up. He's like, Thomas, I understand that you're not going to believe unless you touch, right? I I don't don't know what Thomas, I mean, we see what Thomas says. But you know, there's that moment where he's like, I was just kidding, man. I, I, Jesus, I trust you. I knew you. I knew who you are. No, man, I'm just, I was just testing their faith. I was just testing their faith. Because I know you got big plans for us disciples, so they need to know. They need to be on the page. But Jesus said, Thomas, come here. Touch it. Touch it. Put your hand where the nails that held me to the cross were. Put your hand where the spear went through my side. Touch it, Thomas. Thomas was humbled. He says, my Lord and my God. And Tom, Jesus said something interesting to Thomas after that. He said, Thomas, you're blessed because you believe, but you've seen. But more blessed are those who believe who haven't seen. Let me tell you something. When, when Hebrews 11 tells us, or 12 says that we have these cloud of witnesses that surround us. Every person that walked those steps and got in that water has a story of their life intersecting with Jesus. That their life now points all of us to Jesus. That there are stories of people sitting beside of you right now that would probably shock you. 
but they point to Jesus. And that we have witnesses of the power of God at work in my life and in your life. That I might not be able to physically put my hand and touch the scars of Jesus. But let me tell you something. The scarred hand of Jesus has touched me. And it's changed my life. And that happens when I pursue him by faith, in faith, and through faith. And there's a power that comes with that. See, a lot of times we demand evidence before we believe. But here's what we've got to understand, that as believers, there should be evidence in our life. I mean, this resurrection life is a power-filled life. It's not a, a mediocre, mundane, just squeaking by existence. It is a life that is truly life. It is the life that Jesus said that I've come to give you in abundance. And sadly, a lot of us come in and out of church every week, and we're just the same old person we were last week, and there's no change. There's no power in our life. And we are called to walk in victory and in power. See, when Paul said in verse 9 that death no longer has dominion over Jesus, death no longer has power over Jesus. Sin no longer has power over Jesus. The enemy no longer has power over Jesus. If we share in his death and his resurrection, then you and I should have the same power over sin and the enemy in our life instead of walking around feeling defeated all the time. And God has called us to walk in this power. And people ask me, okay, so where does this power come from? Let's get practical for a minute. How do I live this power-filled life? Where does it come from? What is the power that drew Jesus out of the, the tomb? Because if Jesus was dead, he had no power to raise himself. That power comes from the Holy Spirit, that our God is three in one. We have God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we say you're buried with Christ in, buried with Christ in death and raised to walk in newness of life. That's why we say, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit provided the power for him to come up out of the tomb. And what happens is when we become a Christian, when we give our life to Christ, then there's a transformation that happens inside. There's a new birth. And the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the church and seals us into the church. And what Paul explains to the church in Ephesus, he said, in in him you also, this is Ephesians chapter one, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news that Jesus saves you and you believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So what happens is when we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit stamps us, fills us, and says, you're mine. And he fills us with power. He baptizes us into that power. Now, here's what happens. That's not a once and done thing. Paul later tells the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, look, be continued to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We inhale the Holy Spirit. We're just like, breathe in. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Exhale. Repentance, confession. God, get all of me out of the way. Get the junk out of my life. Inhale. Holy Spirit, fill me. Give me your power. Because here's, here's what I've seen just in my life. If the Holy Spirit filled me once, I'm a leaky dude, man. I mean, I got, I got spiritual incontinence, we'll call it. 
I don't think I should use that joke in the third service. I thought it was funny. Um, it wasn't here, I guess. My inner monologue is laughing so much right now. Uh, but I, I leak. Oh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Now, the Holy Spirit, I've got to have more of him in my life. That relationship grows when he continues to fill me. And when he fills me, there's some things that are, that are evidenced in my life. Faith demands evidence. So what's the evidence of this resurrection life? What's the evidence of a power-filled, Holy Spirit-filled life? The first thing is, I mean, our mind is renewed. I don't think the same way I used to about the sin that I love. I hate my sin. And I hate when I fall under the temptation. But my mind has been renewed and transformed so I don't think about it the same way. The Holy Spirit's power at work in my life gives me the ability to think differently. Then the Holy Spirit does something. He starts to produce things in my life. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. The fruit, we say love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And sometimes I, 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 I was like, what can I pray for you about? You know, I just, I need some more love in my life. I need more peace. I need, you know, here's the reality. Here's what I pray for you. Holy Spirit, fill you. Because when the Holy Spirit fills you, he produces the love that you're looking for. He produces the peace you're looking for, the joy you're so desperately trying to get a hold of. Oh, and the self-control. I hear people say, I've just got to be more controlled. I've got to control myself more. I've got, got to get more boundaries on my life. Let the Holy Spirit produce some self-controlled fruit in your life. And if you notice, it doesn't say the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is all of this. It's like a Skittles tree. Taste the rainbow, baby. And people say, I need more self-control. Get more Holy Spirit in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit, fill me with your power. Because when I'm full of the Holy Spirit's power and I've got his self-control produced in my life, then I can say no to the temptations that face me every day. I can say no and I can run from those temptations. I can flee them. And I can resist the devil and he has to flee because I operate in the authority because I've got that fruit that's being produced in my life. The other thing the Holy Spirit produces in our life is more believers, more disciples. In Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus said, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What he's saying is, you're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection life in you, so you can share that resurrection life with other people. So as you go out and you live this life that's full of power, people see that. They're drawn to that. Like, what's what's different? It's Jesus. I'm a witness for Jesus. Well, I don't really believe he's real. Well, let me tell you what he's done in my life that's pretty real. Start with that. And he calls us and he continues to produce these things in our life. More power, more fruit, more believers, more faith, more joy. All of the things that you're, all of the things you're seeking individually, when you seek the power of God at work in your life through the Holy Spirit, those things get added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All the things you're seeking get added in when you're doing that. That's the resurrection life. So, I mean, it really just begs the question, are we living that? And if not, why not? I mean, are we living as though every day we live in the reality 
that my life has been a decision to go under this water and say, Jesus, here's all of me. And then we come up out of that water for all of you. And I want you at work in my life. And I want your power at work in my life. And we continue to trust him and continue to be filled with him. And the evidence continues to stack up that says you are living the resurrection life. And if you're not living it, then today's the day. Today's the day to make that decision for that power to be real in your life. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for the power of the resurrection to be just real and tangible in this place today. That Holy Spirit, we know, we feel, we sense that you're moving and we believe that you're moving because the Spirit of God is being lifted up. The truth of God is being spoken and there's worship in this place. So we know that you're working. And God, for any of those hearts in this room, any of those lives in this room that have never placed their faith in you, Jesus, they've never experienced that death of their old self being crucified with you so they can be raised in a new life in you. I pray you give them the courage. Give them the faith. I'm not praying for understanding. I'm praying for faith. God, that you show up in their life in a way that they fully submit to you. And that there's that moment of humility that just says, Jesus, I need, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to be my savior. I'm asking you to give me life, abundant life, powerful life, resurrection life. I'm asking you to raise me up. I'm asking you to make me new. If that's you, if you've prayed that prayer in faith with a sincere heart, then here's what happens. The Holy Spirit has just done what you saw earlier with the water. That he has sealed you. He's given new life. You've been resurrected. Your old self has been crucified with Christ. Your sin debt is carried no more. You are qualified to walk in the resurrection life. Father, for those in this room that are just following but not living the resurrection life, I just pray that you you just pour your power into them. God, I pray that the, the complacency of mediocrity would be crucified this morning and that we would truly walk in your power that changes us and changes others and produces more glory for you. Father, I pray for our first fruits offering. I thank you for the obedience and sacrifice that you've placed on the hearts. You said that we give according to what you've put in our heart, and so I thank you for that. God, I pray that you bless this first fruit. I pray that you use it for every ounce of glory that you're due. And Father, I pray your wisdom over us that we steward it with such an excellence that more lives are changed as a result, that it's not about square footage, it's about lives transformed. Thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.